Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your mind. Everybody, welcome to Mind Shock, Dr. Ron Dalrymple. The show will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits, the true final frontier. Our theme for this show is Evolution of the Supermind. I began working at NASA at 17 years old, where we put people in space, which back then we called the final frontier. But at 19 years old, still at NASA, I discovered that we think of the mind as an energy field that transcends the physical brain, and the true final frontier is inner space, the exploration of the true powers of mind. So our mission on this show is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. Think about that, the outer limits of inner space. Our motto for this show is super mind, super body, and super spirit. In today's chaotic world, there's a revolution sweeping the globe about who we are, and what we are doing here. A mind revolution is changing everything. Hold the theories of mind that turn old science on its head. Old science is three-dimensional and limited to the physical senses. We're developing new models of science that consider N dimensions as N, the letter N, which is a mathematical term, approaches infinity. Today we have a great guest, Johnny Pardo, with his book, The Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset. Johnny, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to speaking with you, Dr. Ron. Well, thank you very much. It's our pleasure and honor to have you here. I've enjoyed reading your book very much. And we often start with talking to folks about how it all got started for you. If you could give our audience, please, some of your background history and how your journey in life started, which led to where you are right now. Please go ahead and tell us about that. Of course, uh, I'd love to, uh, without giving my whole uh, life story, but um, I got into the whole the self-esteem and confidence area from getting into personal growth. got into personal growth, actually, from the, the whole writing, um, writing books, actually. That's where I began. And how I got into writing books was very much, I was in a standard job, and I was, I was very much sticking sitting around one day and thinking, wow, this is so boring, and just thinking, I want to do something with my life really different. So I started thinking, what do I like doing as a kid? And that was very much writing books. So I got into writing books, I wrote a few, and I just found it quite natural. But then I got to a point where I thought, right, I want to get into more personal growth. And that's when I found a mentor. And 
I uncovered a new path of coaching and YouTube and various things and sharing what I was learning. But throughout that sort of journey, I was very much becoming aware of some of my self-esteem and confidence issues that really had been evident throughout my life. And I remember hitting a really, really low point about two, three years ago. And I was, I was on the outside, I had quite a good life, but I made a commitment to myself when I hit a really, really low point on holiday. I was really upset and just didn't like who I was. And I said, I'm going to do everything I can to boost my self-esteem and confidence as much as possible. And that's really how it got me into that journey. And as I was applying things, and it's not an overnight fix, as I was trying... Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of struggling with it. And that's how... I really got into coaching in that area and podcasting and writing books on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at a certain point in life, you realize you had low self-esteem. Can you think back, say, to earlier life, if we're not getting too personal now, just whatever you feel comfortable talking about, where do you think that the low self-esteem might have begun, say, going back into childhood? Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So yeah, I'm very, um, I'm very open, and I, I, I usually share quite a lot of um, personal stuff. So in my letter, stuff I actually mentioned it. I was doing some deep diving, and like you say, it usually forms from early life and and the beliefs we pick up about ourselves, and we, we don't always, not always consciously aware that we're criticising ourselves, but we can be sometimes. Now, when I was two and a half years old, unfortunately, I had a, I've got a lovely couple of parents, I've got a lovely sister, but I had a baby brother who died when I was about two and a half years old. And oh, at that time, very much, and I didn't even realise it, it was it was all the way that I created the belief that I'm not my parents were very upset then, and I was very much like, where's my mummy and daddy when I was staying with friends and family? And that kind of, that, that loneliness and that, that trying to get love and people pleasing was very much something that stemmed up through my life and when I got into the personal growth world and uncovered that a little bit more as I went down this journey, I think that was one of the key points I discovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you ever feel at some point, you know, very often when there's a, a loss in a family like that, there's a family member or a child loses a parent, that sort of thing, very often other people in the family might actually feel responsible for it or feel they take on some of the blame. If I might ask you, do you ever feel that, that kind of sensation or that kind of belief? It wasn't, it wasn't so much that it was my fault. It was Johnny? Like... Oh, sorry. Hello. Can you hear me, Dr. Ron? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. So it wasn't so much the belief that it was my my fault. It was more like... And the belief was, am I not good enough for for my parents who are very upset, and what can I do to please them? But there was also the belief of, oh, think, you know, I have this new sibling, and they could be taken away from me. So I I believe that I have to kind of please people a lot, and perhaps I I wasn't as lovable, or something was wrong with me for the reason they were upset. Obviously, logically, as an adult, you can see that's completely not true, but... At the time, those were very much the beliefs I, uh, I formed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so, of course, 
I wasn't trying to imply before that it really was your fault, obviously, but often, you know, siblings or folks will feel responsible mm-hmm. for something which is not their fault. And it becomes a, a focal point in the family. But here you tried to perhaps take on more responsibility, try to be more lovable, maybe try to fill that gap that you felt mm-hmm. and parents also felt. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, absolutely. So I remember just being as a kid really trying to please my mum and dad and they're very, they're very great parents but it was very much like me feeling responsible that I needed to cheer them up and when they were down or, or miserable I needed to make sure they were happy and I, I didn't like seeing that sadness and it very much sort of stemmed up through many many years um, as, I, as I sort of like grew up and I didn't like seeing people upset and it made me very uncomfortable when and obviously we can't control other people, that's not the problem, but uh, it made me very uncomfortable and I always created this people-pleasing element within that. But, yeah, in terms of actually trying to get response, feeling, you know, responsible for cheering them up, that was that was something I, I that went through quite a lot of my childhood, making sure they were happy. And, of course, if they were angry or stressed with me, that, that created or reinforced the belief that maybe I'm not good enough a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you felt perhaps a little bit less self-esteem for that. I often call that conditional self-esteem or conditional sense of self where we see ourselves as a function of how others see us, and there you're mm-hmm. unintentionally, of course, being unfair to yourself, putting pressure upon yourself, trying to take responsibility for that gap left by your brother's loss. you say that's true? Yes, yes, definitely, and it was... And like you said about the, the external validation, that was, that was something I found that was a passion through quite a lot of my life, that not just parents, but going, going into friendships and various things like that through life, that actually it was always an external source I was looking for when, when trying to get that, that self-esteem rather from internally that I realized that I needed to get in control of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for that, that sense of self or self-esteem through external sources, which is a natural way for kids to orient, and even they can travel throughout life. You know, we might think of the mind as like an onion. You cut the onion in half. You have all these concentric levels, these shells around the center. And if we get injured or damaged somehow emotionally at a deeper level, it will influence those later levels in life as they evolve. So what you learned there, what you felt there, been transferred to later stages of life, which you talk about in your book very well. And by the way, I think it's very courageous for you in your book to talk about your experiences. It really takes a lot of courage and strength to do that. I have to compliment you on what you've done there. So do you feel like that generalizes oh, early experiences through later years? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it, it's good to kind of share it for, you know, other people to they they would have had different experiences, but that's kind of half the half the challenge when I sort of saw other people were were struggling with it. But yes, and as you were sort of, I think you were going to ask or touch on, it was very much uh, going into into later life. I found myself trying to please people in in friendships and the workplace, and when when it was good or going for me, I'd be like, yeah, I feel good, you know, I could feel good about myself. But if, if not, I felt terrible about myself, which is obviously a very dangerous game to play because we can't control other people, but we can 
when we realised when I realised I could control how I felt about me on a stronger level, that that's when sort of change started made it happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really an interesting kind of parallax where we might have this lower or diminished sense of self at a deeper level. We try to create this facade externally, which you talk about very well in your book, about how to relate to other people. We create kind of a social facade, and many folks develop, of course, many faces, as it were, with every different external social situation. It's really curious. Let's say you go into, you talked about work some, but let's say you go into work, you're trying to maintain that facade of being relaxed and confident, but you don't feel that way at all. And what's happening in the room is other people in the room are feeling very similar to you. They also feel insecurities or certain lacks and whatnot, and they also maintain their facades. So we have a room of a lot of facades than with each other. How do you see that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and um, I think it's a, a, a big misconception that I had, particularly around constant people just have zero fears and people who appear, you know, comfortable on the outside don't have these fears, but... That was that was something I, I realised particularly when I was researching into the whole the self-esteem and confidence and how to boost it. And actually, I see someone sometimes going through jobs like, wow, they seem so comfortable, and then like later they'd be saying something like, oh, I was really really nervous about that, and it really really kind of like makes you realise. And I think one of the key things I've heard is courage, for example, like when you do something courageous, whether that's in the workplace or not. Is not the absence of fear, it's the feeling of fear, but doing something anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so that fear gets into it, and of course what we found through research through many years in the psychological literature is that one of the most powerful forms of fear, of course, is social fears, and the biggest in terms of social anxieties or social phobias is actually public speaking. You mentioned that in your book mm. as well, public speaking. Please tell us about that, how you handled that. Yeah, that's interesting because I was reading, um, I read about that also recently in um, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, which was a really good read as well, and public speaking linking to loss of identity. Um, for me, it was, there was a bit of a turning point, and now I'm in a position I love public speaking. It's, I'm a weirdo like that, but um, <laughs> some people say, but um, it was very much, um, I remember just like even saying my name in in situations sometimes was like so no nerve-wracking and I'd go red and get really, really nervous and yeah, I just was so worried about what others thought of me and we often I found that my brain was really blowing out of proportion um, that what others think is probably not what they're actually thinking and very much what I did with the public speaking was right, I need, I was in a position where I really needed to boost up my career and do a bit more in the workplace. Particularly early on, I was on a fixed-term contract, and one of those things that was identified to me was speaking up. So I was kind of making little steps to host a small meeting and then get in charge of a slightly bigger meeting and do more and more presentations. And I found as I did more and more, I'd become more confident. And I then started to look forward to the feeling I'd get off the confidence from actually taking the action. So that really helped my confidence. And then joining Toastmasters, which you might be familiar with, that really, really did help my um, public speaking as well. So yeah, that's kind of my story through the, the public speaking. And I just feel like now 
I, I want to deliver messages and things that people could action and could change them. So it, that's greater for me than the fear of what someone might think, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think was the, the primary realization you made or what thoughts helped you switch from having fear of public speaking to really trying to enjoy? What, what was the switch you made from what mindset to which mindset? Yeah, yeah, good question. So what was the so what was the switch in terms of deciding, right, I am suddenly going to talk up in these meetings, I'm gonna take action. Really I can I can kind of like picture it when I made the decision to take take control of of it and then actually speak up in a meeting. I thought it it was really quite a lot of like pain of <laughs> pain and insecurity of getting into myself, or the kind of the self-talk into myself, and I was going through the same old thing of like being fearful in meetings, and then I thought, I've had enough of this, and we, we were sometimes driven by pain and pleasure, and I was very much like, I can't be dealing with feeling this anxious and just saying my name in a meeting, that actually, I need to take action, and then I was in a meeting, and I, I didn't put my hand up, and then I just went, something just clicked, it just clicked and went, I need to change this. So that's when I made the decision to like chair a meeting. I was absolutely terrified. I was shaking. But then I did that and then it sort of associated with more pleasure, like what I was going to get out of it. But it was very much what drove me was the, the, the pain of not being heard and hiding myself away and feeling anxious. And I wanted to get away from those feelings. And uh, that's what drove me to start actually speaking up in meetings. Okay. Good, that's great. So you want to get away from that, that pain of not being able to express your thoughts and feelings when you get your ideas out there to people. And so you say, so, well, let's take action, which is do it, take action, and then that helps you shift how you think and feel about it afterwards by taking action. So how do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. I see when you take an action, it can it doesn't always result in progress, but um, it, you know, it usually, well, it doesn't always result in a result, but it usually results in progress. So when you take an action, you build the progress, and that's what I got from it, and it was very much the feeling of confidence, and then I learned that about other areas of life. I was like, okay, I'm doing this, I'm trying this. Sometimes you don't get a result, and you, you think, okay, I've got to go back, but actually just the feeling of progress, of doing something new, but within myself. Mm-hmm. That's great. And we also find, of course, that in the corporate world, in the business world, we do a lot of coaching with executives and whatnot. And one of the biggest problems they have is how to relax, get confident, and do public speaking because as they move up through the corporate world, that's required more and more to speak to groups, larger and larger groups. You can imagine if you have to walk out in front of, say, 10,000 people live and it's being televised on radio, a lot of folks might feel some initial anxiety. It's a normal thing, but... The point is, one thing we teach folks is to think about you're talking to one person at once, one person. You're addressing one person, or say like a key or a model person in your mind's eye of the audience. It doesn't matter if it's 10,000 of that one person or not. It's really the same thing. And so there's a lot of different ways to think about it which help a person get over that anxiety. How do you feel about that? So how, how an individual gets over the anxiety of speaking in front of people. Um, yes. So yeah. what... What I do is there's the, well, I think it's first of all really important to note that like you're in something new or something like that, 
feeling a bit anxious, feeling a bit fearful is perfectly normal. Your nerves, nerves are perfectly normal to feel, but it's whether or not you let them get on top of you. So I think the, again, just going back to misconceptions sometimes that I particularly have, and it's almost like talking to my previous self, that, you know, confident hearing people have no nerves. I mean, the celebrities like Mel Robbins, um, for example, I remember her admitting recently, oh, she gets terrified of going on stage and talking to big groups of people. And she she looks, um, well, she used to, and she still gets it now, but um, she looks really charismatic on stage. But I think it's important that it's normal. But in terms of getting used to it, I mean, what I always did was actually practice through what I was going to say and practice it through out loud. Because what you say in your head can come out completely different out loud. So the the art of practicing makes you made me personally feel a lot more comfortable and it's something I've given coaching clients who are afraid of talking in front of people. So actually practicing it out loud can build up that confidence that you can actually speak out loud. Now it's not the same thing but it does give you that skill. Um, and also talking to yourself in a powerful way um, and giving yourself that boost is really, really important before events saying I am worthy, I you know, I have got a good message to share, I am credible, I am a great person to listen to. Anything that's gonna be really powerful really is a really good thing to do because if we're if we're criticizing ourselves, that's not gonna that's not gonna help our confidence for going on stage. So I think that's really really important. And actually building up a little ritual that can make you feel relaxed, whether that's the the speaking and breathing. I think breathing exercises always help me a little bit. And then just practicing it through beforehand. I think those are some of the, um, the key things. And watching your diet, when you talk about anxiety, watching, you know, not having too much sugar, not having too much coffee, perhaps, if that's something that triggers you out. Making, becoming self-aware of your own habits and doing things that are going to make you a bit more relaxed and jump out on stage as well. But those are some of the things I generally sort of, uh, talk about or do myself and recommend to people for preparing themselves and going out. Okay, I think those are great suggestions, really, really powerful ideas. And it's very important to kind of pump yourself up, to empower yourself by these kinds of positive thoughts that feed those into your subconscious mind. We talked to Dr. Mm. Uh, about Dr. Joseph Murphy. Jim Jensen wrote a book, a remake of his book some time ago now called Expand the Power of Subconscious Mind, which talks about exactly that, how you feed ideas into your subconscious mind, which greatly empower you, which she kind of acts automatically to help things manifest. It's really amazing to do things with your diet, whatnot, exercise, visualize positive results, practice it out loud, so what you're going to project on stage, it all kind of comes together as you practice it. When you get on stage, you're then in the zone. We talked about with sports psychology. Well, folks, we're here today. With fascinating guest, Johnny Porter, wrote a tremendous book about self-esteem and self-confidence. He's done a lot of self-disclosure in the book, very, very courageous book, talking about his own experience, his own journey through life, and how he got to this point. And please stick with us, folks. We'll be back for a few more segments. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock with Johnny Pardo. Be right back. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind. 
one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks. Lots of quality and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, Build muscle or just live healthy. Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery, a powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Remember, positive impacts. www.healthylife.net. Welcome back, Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shot. We have a fascinating guest, Johnny Pardo, a really intriguing book about self-esteem and self-confidence. He goes through a lot of self-disclosure, talking about his own experiences, how he's learned and grown. It really is a fascinating read. He's very honest, talking about what he thought and what he felt and the challenges he faced. Johnny, how you doing? Welcome back. Hey, hey, Dr. Doing good. Thank you. It's been great chatting. Well, thank you very much for being here. It's our pleasure to have you here. I wanted to ask you and start this segment with talking about what are some of the greatest success stories that you've seen, like, for example, folks that you've coached, you've worked with, you've seen them go from, say, low self-esteem, negative self-image, going through a transformation to much more positive esteem and a positive self-image and able to accomplish far more in life. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, of course. So there's there's always like various examples, but there's always this this, this like common example. There's the common threads that I always pick up with most people, and that's very much the the way that themselves and their their habits and our habits are key to our self-esteem and how we talk to ourselves. Not only talk to ourselves, but how we treat ourselves. So, like for example, I can think of one one particular individual I work with and. They, they themselves were were a coach and they were very much, and lots of coaches out there are very much afraid of going out and selling themselves and marketing themselves, but because 
they get this, this what terms as the imposter syndrome of, am I good enough to do this? Very much when we worked together, he was worried about approaching people and talking to people, um, particularly on social media, and we're in a very busy social media world. So he, when we sort of worked together, we identified how he was very driven and it was very much he wasn't talking to himself in the right way to give himself enough credit. So when we were able to identify new ways he could talk to himself and actually give himself more credit, and actually I found a lot of people, including myself, and I use my own experience to kind of coach other people, but he was very much not feeling like, not praising himself for all the things he was doing right, but we criticise ourselves for all the things we do wrong, which never helps our self-esteem or our confidence in certain things. And... Yeah, we worked together and then he started believing himself and actually we identified small little actions and from there he was able to really scale in what he was doing and that, that's just one example. But a similar one was sort of fiends or someone who was scared of public speaking and had this very much struggle of even saying anything in, in the workplace because of a, a bad experience previously that had caused a, a little bit of a trauma within himself. and. He was very much talking about criticising himself, but actually when he started talking to himself well, started doing the things he's enjoyed, and then started taking little actions and speak up in meetings, he was able to become really confident in the workplace. He joined Toastmasters and many, many things like that. And I think, and like some other, I could go through plenty of examples, but it's usually the habits and what we're, how we're talking to ourselves, but also sometimes the people we're surrounding ourselves with and the information and I found actually when I've seen people switch what they're listening to, what they're consuming, both in the mind and, and in their diet, there can be a change as well because if you're listening to information, when they've been listening to information that doesn't serve them, perhaps too much of the media when it's negative things are going on or perhaps too much of like a negative, I don't know, TV show or something like that, people don't feel as good, but when we're listening to uplifting things, good songs, or uh, inspirational people, I've noticed the shifts and patterns and how they feel within themselves, and yeah, those are those are some examples I can think of, but there's there's usually some very common threads through all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's great. Now, with that one person, as he transformed, where, where is he at now in terms of his abilities? He's doing more public speaking? And how has that influenced his life in other positive ways? Yeah, so so the instance of the one the one who like was able to do more public speaking, he's he's managed to reduce his stress a lot more and actually his anxiety because it was so much the fear of public speaking that actually it'd play up a lot more outside of work as well when he get in his personal life he'd be taking him away from his personal relationships a little bit and um, and I, I found like when you've got like stress or lack of confidence sometimes in one area like I had, like I did at the workplace, it would impact me as well on in, in family time or with friends and family and this individual found that by working on his public speaking, by taking courageous action, believe, building up his self-belief, he was able to relax an awful lot more and be a bit more present and enjoy his time with his friends and family, so it can definitely have a good positive knock-on that I've experienced myself, but the individual I'm describing there and um, other individuals I've worked with have experienced as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really a great example, yeah. 
we often teach folks to focus on the positive successes of your past and dwell upon those, reinforce that, give yourself congratulations for that, build up your self-esteem on that and your self-image, and if something goes wrong or goes negative, say, well, okay, let that go, but learn from the situation. In other words, take, take from it wherever you can, take the positive part, wherever you can from that, but then leave the negative behind. Say, okay, that's just an experience. It's just one more step on the path to success. Maybe it's a misstep. Maybe not because sometimes a misstep can teach you a lot. We learn from that and keep growing. So one thing is not to take it personally. A very powerful concept I learned in doing psychotherapy many, many, well, not just years but decades ago, was that teach folks not to take things personally. Because if we take things personally, we internalize it, we start to believe in that. The more we believe in it, the more we give it growth and we give it a presence inside our own beings. And it can take over efficient to negative set of thoughts. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely can relate to that, um, what you're talking about in terms of internalizing someone else's, uh, well, so it, you know, there's two, there's two forms of uh, criticism. There could be constructive criticism when someone gives you some feedback and it's not malicious and it's just, they're trying to help you and perhaps something could be improved. And then there's sometimes people just being nasty or just because they're, they're usually more often than not insecure or upset themselves. And sometimes I remember in my past, I've definitely taken it in and made it almost part of my identity. Like if someone, someone was angry at me, like, oh, I remember being shouted out in like a workplace and being like, oh, you're useless, you're such an idiot. And then me actually internalizing it and thinking, Oh, I'm an idiot, I'm useless. Um, but it's actually then just being frustrated and, you know, reflecting that. So I think it's really, really, I remember being sworn at in, in shops and I put that in the book. Um, someone called, swore at me and, um, it's, you can very much internalize it, but it's always, that's why it's really, really important, I feel, and this is why I'm so strong about taking control of your self-esteem and working on it every single day is because there are quite a lot of external things we can't do anything about in this world. And if we're not constantly working on that self-esteem, then it can be quite difficult to deal with things when they come in, like people's insecurities or people's attacks. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly, yeah. Because very, very good points. It's important to work on this on a daily basis to internalize those thoughts and not to be distracted by the t attacks of other people. Other people, for example, in the workplace might figure out what your weak spots are and then in a very manipulative way try to attack you over those, sabotage you over those, get you to react in a specific way like with anger, which then might get you in jeopardy with your job. I've seen folks, and I have a new book coming out soon about mind games. It's called Mind Games People Play, and it's based upon uh, observations over many decades working in different facilities and the kind of stuff that goes on between people also gets into psychological defenses and so forth, as well as personality disorders and whatnot. So it really is an exhaustive study of what goes on. In any case, you're exactly right. We must be aware of those and not internalize the projections of other people. Folks, we're here today with Johnny Pardo and his fascinating book about self-esteem and self-confidence. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple and Mind Shock. We'll take a moment for our sponsors. Back in a couple of minutes, so, folks, so please stick with us. Be right back.
Here's a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind, stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with the step-by-step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course. The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Welcome back, Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock. Here we have Johnny Pardo wrote a fascinating book about self-esteem and self-confidence. Johnny, how you doing? Yeah, great. great. Okay, great. I'd like to start the se- yeah, like start the segment talking about some of the greatest examples in history of people who had very high self-esteem, including those who are charismatic. The whole idea of charisma. Some people have very powerful charisma which many people, of course, will lack and haven't learned how to develop. Can you tell us, please, how you see about that charisma. What is that exactly? Yeah, so I think it's, it's really, really important to try and uh, identify and see some examples out there of really, really charismatic people who have really ingrained it into them. Now, um, for me, I, I like to model people who have got that. Now, when you say model, it's important that you know that actually we can learn certain beliefs and certain behaviours from people that could help us bring out the best of us. So, for me, one of my my heroes is Mr. Tony Robbins, who's one of the biggest names in personal growth. And I very much started understanding what he did and um, and what actually he did day to day. And it's very much the way he moves his body, the beliefs he said about himself, and very much the, the meanings he put to things and meanings around him, um, which really, really built up his 
charisma. So I think some of, I remember like listening to some of the things he did was that he built this certainty and belief in himself. And people who've got a lot of charisma often have this certainty and belief in themselves. So I remember he was saying when he was trying to sell to someone, um, Jim Rohn, Jim Rohn, the other big name he, he followed and was mentored by, but he said he was trying to sell Jim Rohn's course and he very much was doing incantations and an incantation he describes is an affirmation with, but with emotional intensity to try and get it into the subconscious mind or nervous system a bit more, as you said. But um, I, I generally find that they've got a lot of certainty within themselves and they're always moving their body in certain ways and actually your physiology can make a massive difference. But he was a big figure in my life who kind of was good to follow to charisma as well as Harvey Spectros suits, which I think I mentioned in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Do incantations where you make very strong statements powered by very strong emotions, which then goes into your subconscious mind as a very strong sense of identity, which then runs automatically to help drive your behavior in a wide range of situations. How do you feel about that? Yes, I love it. I love them so much because, um, I mean, the, the thing is when we want to, We've got these beliefs that we want to believe about ourselves, but it can be difficult, right? If we if we want to say, I I am worthy or I am confident or I am enough, that we've had a lifetime of telling ourselves we're not or in the subconscious mind stuff an early belief life. I mentioned like I'm not lovable and we want to believe the opposite. If we're just saying to ourselves, I am lovable, I am lovable, I'm lovable in like a way that isn't with emotion then the brain's going to find it quite difficult to take in. The mind's going to find it quite difficult to take in. So I'm always, I try and pick three to five in every single day, every morning, every lunchtime, every evening. I'm jumping up and down on my rebounder and then trying to say them as much as possible to really embed it in. So, uh, and, then, and then I found myself when I was doing these and they became more of me, that actually it was driving my actions a lot more. And I found myself doing more constant things because I was creating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it became a matter of practice, a matter of finding different ways to put those thoughts and emotions deep into your subconscious mind. They take over and work automatically. It's been said that the subconscious works in a deductive type manner. But once we program the objective mind's job is to analyze and study the external realities come to various conclusions about those and then feed them into the subconscious mind, which then works deductively to run our lives in a way which is automatic and hopefully successful for us. The problem we get into is when we form very negative thoughts and emotions, various delusional fixations, delusions and false beliefs, which get stuck into the subconscious and then tend to work automatically to constantly cause us trouble. It often starts early in life through parents, through siblings, through neighbors, through whatever. Many kids are abused or neglected or go through some kind of traumatic emotional experience. And that's what post-traumatic stress is all about, whether it's from, from childhood or later on in life from car accidents or from combat veterans. And combat veterans often go through intense experiences every day you know, for, for years even. Some guys have been very, very long conflicts. So it produces a very deep level set of fixations in the mind and emotions, which are really hard to get rid of. It takes some serious work. But we're talking about here something much more positive where you intentionally 
put positive thoughts and emotions into your subconscious mind, which then work and drive your system automatically, which is very, very powerful to proceed. I think a lot of people in history who have been great successes charismatically have done that. So Tony Robbins is one example in the world of training and so forth. There are also various political figures in history, such as Winston Churchill, FDR, some folks who did this. You even talk about Napoleon, who's a very controversial figure in many respects. Some people like him, some people don't, of course. But he certainly was profoundly charismatic. He'd walk among his people and had tremendous, tremendous overtures of love cascaded upon him by his troops. So what do you think those, those famous people did? How did they get to that point of charisma? So, so yeah, I, I, I think there's um, some great examples you mentioned then um, as well about people, famous people with, with this, these levels of charisma. Um, we, we've obviously meant we talked about the the incantations and that that helping them them and their beliefs and they actually have these right beliefs. But I think also just the taking the action because uh, they they take an actions and perhaps quite a lot of us hesitate and when we don't take an action we don't make progress. So they're building on a lot of momentum from the action they're making and the progress which builds the builds the confidence and then the the charisma within them as well. I think it's also it's also quite a powerful impact to actually analyse and realise what's what's good and what evidence you've got that you're a great leader, you're a great human being. And I think that's something I found as a really good practice and when I was studying it was apparent that people are very good, very charismatic people are very good at reflecting on their strengths rather than their weaknesses and they're able to identify them quite well. So I think that's quite an quite a powerful one for leaders. And the other thing I identified was that charismatic, confident-driven people, like these leaders, tend to surround themselves with the right people and not have too much of a negative environment around them. You can have all the wills sort of in the world to drive yourself forward, but if you're constantly in a negative environment, towards the right group, that's going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's a very, very good point, several good points there, that charismatic leaders build upon the momentum of previous actions. I think it's exactly right. We talk about that in our book, Quantum Field Psychology, that momentum and acceleration in situations are very, very powerful. So here the leaders build upon momentum, and of course anybody can do this, of your actions. You build upon that, and you also surround yourself with very positive people who reinforce those thoughts and beliefs. And if you have somebody there who's very toxic or negative, to the situation, you have to deal with that. Very often they're removed from the situation. Or other leaders will deal with that in a different kind of way. They'll sort of suffer suffer the advice of those who aren't always on top of it, but there's a certain way in which they do that. In any case, it's very important to organize what, what you're doing in life, to build your success, to surround yourself with positive people, those who help you, who lift you up, who move you forward, and build upon that momentum as well. So, folks, we're here today with Johnny Pardo on Mind Shock. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple. Now, Johnny, please tell the audience where they can find you, find your book, and learn more about you. Please go ahead. Yeah, of course. So uh, I'll be very quick. So you can find the latest book, The Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset. It's available on Amazon in both Kindle, paperback, and actually audiobook as well. Uh, you can find me on social media, on Instagram, uh, Johnny Pardo. Um, or on Facebook, you can find the Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset group as well. 
as well as my website, if I just mentioned, which is johnnypardo.com. So, yeah, love to hear from you, and thank you so much for having me on today. Well, Johnny, thank you very much. It's been our great honor and pleasure having you here. Thank you for your good work, for your fine book, and the people you're helping out there. Good for you. Well done. Thanks very much. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Johnny. Take care now. Best of luck to you. Stay in touch. Contact us anytime, please. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose rentacar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the Rent-A-Car banner. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity. Things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. This is Jack Maher from the band Feed the Kitty. It's important to support the artists you love. And you can do that and get something authentic for yourself. Rock.com has the most coveted, licensed merchandise of music, culture, and entertainment. So go to the advertiser page and click on Rock.com now. Quantum Field Psychology 2nd Edition is an astounding book on the new theory of mind. It is the first unified field theory that incorporates the influence of the mind and emotion on physical reality, the universe, and even other minds. It actually integrates all modern psychology with quantum physics, mathematics, Western, and Eastern spiritual beliefs. It's the true bridge between science and spirituality. Get your copy of Quantum Field Psychology, second edition, by Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Amazon.com. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We spoke to Johnny Pardo. Great guys. We're in a fascinating book on self-esteem and self-confidence. He based it upon his own life experiences and kind of figured it out as he went along what some of the key factors were. His book is very courageous. He looks at himself and analyzes his own reactions to situations and how he dealt with things. He came up with really powerful points and ideas. They're certainly generalizable to, to psychology. What we found throughout history is that People who develop very high self-esteem, a very high degree of self-image, a very positive self-image, can often attain great success in life. There are many examples of people who have done that but then had moments of 
kind of falling down and so forth. There's a story, for example, about a great, great leader in Scotland, Robert the Bruce, who was fighting against the, the massively powerful King of England and English forces. The Scottish forces he represented were, were much, much weaker. But what he did was he was able to eventually outsmart and defeat them. But one story about that, if it's true or not, who knows, but one part of the legend is that he'd been defeated several times in battle. And once he was lying down in his, his home, whatever, he's resting, he looked up at the ceiling, and a spider was building up a web. And the wind knocked it out. The spider went back to work, started to build it again. Wind knocked it out again, went back to it again. So the spider did this some seven times and finally succeeded. Robert Bruce got the message, okay, well, never give up. Keep trying, keep fighting, keep building, find a new way to do it. This has been found throughout history as a story about Thomas Edison, and this may or may not be true, I don't know, but part of the legend is that he'd searched for the answer to the light bulb. Some sources say now that he actually did not invent the light bulb, that somebody else did. He simply bought the patent, whether it's true or not. Well, this is a fascinating story. In any case, he allegedly was asked by a reporter many years ago, Mr. Edison, don't you realize you're making a fool out of yourself? You've tried 5,000 ways to invent the light bulb, and it hasn't worked. And Edison's response was, was, young man, you have no idea how science works. I have not tried and failed 5,000 times. I've identified 5,000 things which do not work. He then went back back to work and tried 5,000 more things which didn't work. And finally, what led to the solution was a whole paradigm shift. The story goes, he went into a tavern. This is in February up in Orange, New Jersey, where he had a large laboratory and some 200 people working with him, named scientists and researchers and others. So he went to his tavern for a quick drink before going home. And there's a guy in a bar who got quite intoxicated. And back in those days, these guys wore these long-tailed coats. This guy fell back into this huge fireplace they had. His coat tails caught on fire. So a bunch of you guys here in the bar jumped on top of him, put the fire out. Edison watches this, and he goes, aha. And he realized something, went back to the laboratory, and figured out how to solve the problem. You might have guessed he realized he must do a paradigm shift and not just keep changing the filament, but change the atmosphere. So he realized if we put this inside a vacuum tube, we can lower the amount of oxygen. Of course, the vacuum tube existed for some time at that point. We'll put it inside a vacuum tube so the filament will burn much more slowly. It'll last out longer. He did this, and, of course, it worked. So he's able to work out the entire scenario, and this led to the invention of the light bulb, according to that story. And the important thing here is that it's a paradigm shift. So he was analyzing the problem on one, one set of factors, which didn't work. He tried many things which didn't work. He finally then shifted paradigm to a whole different approach by lowering the atmosphere of oxygen. And this is often true in life. We solve problems by first having the attitude to never give up, so we must develop our self-esteem, a positive self-image, to think those positive thoughts, not buy into negative thoughts, often fed to us by other people, as we talked to Johnny about. So there's a time we'll try to sabotage us and feed us negatives, those who are competitive, the world and so forth. We're going to not take those attacks personally. I said focus on the idea, I can do this, I have the ability, I have the powers inside me, and keep trying new things, keep moving forward. And history is filled with these kinds of examples of people who never gave up, but he kept trying new approaches to solve a problem, often doing a paradigm shift where you realize if we jump to a different level here, we can put the whole thing together. This is what we did with quantum field psychology is that when I got through with college, I realized I've been working at NASA for several years. I realized that I wasn't finding the answers 
to the true nature of who we are and what we're doing upon this planet. It, it was my question since a young age. So we were on a different search around the world. The university just wasn't given the answers. I took all kinds of classes in psychology and math and physics. I was not finding the answers. Worked at NASA, fascinating, great place to work, really wonderful. Again, not finding those kinds of answers. So I went on a worldwide journey, traveled the world for many years. We went back to graduate school at Maryland, got a doctorate in psychology to study all the different fields of psychology, combined those with math and physics, and then t taught for many years, taught college classes, and also saw many thousands of patients, trying to find what makes the most sense, what integrates all these theories together. I was looking for a paradigm shift. We do what's called a polymath analysis, where you analyze all these different fields to find what functions make those fields work. How do all those different fields fit together? What set of laws or equations can we find which integrate all the fields of psychology with math and physics, with Eastern and Western philosophies to explain it all. What we came up with is what's called quantum field psychology, one of our books on Amazon, which I wrote while in the Italian Alps in 2004. I was working in Aviano, Italy, the U.S. military teaching college. I taught for that point 15 courses for Maryland, so I had a chance to look at the whole field, or, or most of it, to put it together. So I was inspired by the Great Alps, and that was written in April 2004, the final version. It's now on Amazon for free. We also have an earlier version of Quantum Field Psych called The Inner Manager, which was published in 1989, which is a short course on mind development, how to tap into the powers of your mind. We have another book called I Love You, God, which is about how to tap into the higher spiritual thoughts, bring us down to a concrete level to help empower your life. Another book is called Eight Days of Creative Power, how to tap into your inner creative powers. We also have a new book coming out called Mind Games People Play, which is all about the mind games that go on in the world because that really is like the saboteur or the adversity we face. It's about the opponents in life with time to block you, try to trap you, sabotage you in various ways, play mind games with you to trip you up. So part of growing consciously to a higher level means stimulating that, those forces within us, but also dealing with the external world, which is not always so positive or helpful at times which might try to sabotage us. To help popularize these ideas, we also came out with a film called The Endless Question, which is a two-hour documentary on Amazon Prime. It's free. Check it out, folks. It's free. It's a documentary where we interview a bunch of really fascinating folks from around the world who have insights in these ideas. We also include the ideas of Nikolai Tesla, which are very coinciding with quantum field psychology. So check that out. It's free. Another film on there is called Paradise Found 2015, which is about the discovery of quantum field psychology. So all these ideas coalesce together and work together if I show has new theories viable, it makes sense. It is a unified field theory. It's a theory of everything because it combines all the different philosophies and aspects of the world under a whole new paradigm of math and physics, but we try to make it easy in a bunch of the, the books and films to make it more explainable to folks who understand it and start to use it in their lives. All these folks we talk to on this show, we find fascinating correlation between their work and our work. Because many folks around the world are waking up to these ideas and bringing forth these concepts to the world to help transform this planet, which desperately needs to be transformed to a higher state. Well, folks, thanks for being with us today. Dr. Ron Dalrymple and Mind Shock, a lot of fascinating guests lined up the weeks and months ahead, but please stick with us. Check out Healthy Life Net. It's a great network, a lot of great people on there, run by great people. So thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. Hang in there, take care, and God bless. Dr. Ron signing off.